Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food. And eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. Welcome to At The Source. This week we've left my spare room behind for somewhere much more exciting. We're recording in Kaunas, Lithuania. Is that how you say Kaunas? Uh, Kaunas, yeah. Kaunas, okay, cool. So Karis and I are here for a long weekend and we've been lucky enough to grab some time with local food lover Gavin Stewart. Originally from the UK, Gavin lived in Milan for 13 years before moving here in 2016. He somehow combines lecturing in applied linguistics at Kaunas University of Technology with being a private chef and restaurant consultant. Thanks for finding time for us today, Gavin. Not at all. Glad you could come. And I said, cool nuts. Cool yeah. Cool nuts. Yeah. I said it wrong again, didn't I? That's okay. Don't worry about that. It's fine. Cool. Anyway, thank you for joining us. We're in our uh, kitchen of our Airbnb today, so hopefully it's not too echoey. And Karis is obviously here as well. Oh, hi. <laughs> uh, Gavin, what is your first memory of food? I don't really have one. I think the, the classic answer would be like a... Uh, you know, the, the, the serious chef would say uh, spending time watching a parent or relative slaving away over a, over a hot stove. But I don't really have that, although I do remember um, understanding that it was all about rhythm and procedure with eating at my place. Every week the menu was the same. Like my, my father was very much a sort of an organised person with this. There would be a ragu, which was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday would be eating leftovers. Thursday night after shopping would be tortellini. Friday night would be sausages. Saturday would be chicken drumsticks. Wow. Every week was the same for years. How did you have leftovers if you were having... Oh, well, there was also... That doesn't include the sort of salad part. Right, um, okay. There were some like vegetables here and there which would go into lunches. Right, um, okay. And then there would always be some sort of leftovers on, uh, uh, on, on Wednesday. The best part, though, was when he made um, school lunches for um, me and my sister. And, <laughs> you know, Scotsman till the end. Uh, he, he got this tiny jar of fish paste... You know, not exactly the favourite for children. Oh, and he, she would just went up my spine. <laughs> but he, he would spread it so thin that you could read the newspaper through it. And he made that tiny jar last an entire week for wow. my sister, uh, my lunches. Oh dear. <clears throat> was he in the military by any chance? <laughs> no, he wasn't, but he's a, he's, a, he's a scientist, so he's always working with exact ah. quantities. So. <laughs> An exact quantity of uh, fish paste. What did you have your sausages with? Um, there were always beans somewhere. Uh, Beans were were sort of omnipresent uh, in the meals. I mean, don't get me wrong. I remember those um, those the, the Friday night sausages, and they were Australian sausages. And my father always bought them from from the deli rather than the supermarket because he wanted to get these these quite nicer ones. And going back to the UK from Australia, in Australia you get these like big long sausages, you know, good sized sausages, and then you get your sort of the the, the, the banger sized things in the UK. And it was uh, it was a culture shock. Mm. <laughs> no one likes a small sausage. <laughs> It's not okay. Size that matters. Anyway, <laughs> moving uh, on. <laughs> so you had that. You've had that sort of really. Uh, I don't know. I, meat and two veg kind of food background. Yeah, but um, the interesting part I just want to point out, if I can, there's there's one thing that um, my parents uh, had back then, which uh, is still something that they do today, and in fact, something that I really appreciate. Which is that the weekend lunch times uh, was never there was never like a roast dinner or your sort of traditional British um, Sunday roast, but they would have cold meats and, and vegetables, uh, and again they would always buy them from the deli, so they'd be quite uh, they'd be quite good. 
uh, good quality. And that's something that even in Italy, I, I always stood by. And it's some, the same thing that they uh, have for their lunches every day. And in fact, it's something that I do too. So there was always a good eye for getting high quality cold meats. So you grew up in the UK and then you moved to Milan. Yeah. Why, how, when, why? <laughs> um, that was after I um, graduated from university. Um, Where you studied? Theatre. Okay. <laughs> Theatre and scenography was uh, uh, that, but there was a module which uh, went into uh, arts, into education, so that's how I got more into the academic side of things. Gotcha. Um, then I moved to uh, Milan because I wanted something different. There was a, a, a possibility that I had in Milan, um, so I got a job teaching uh, there, which was a good way to, to get started. So the food's quite different in the UK with a Scottish father, Italian food, Lithuanian food. <laughs> which is obviously where we are now. So what's your favourite? Oh, Italian food, hands down. But you also have to con- consider that there's simply different kinds of food for different purposes. What I love about Italian food is the simplicity of it. It's based on the product, not the quantity of things, not the technique that's involved in the food preparation itself, um, with some exceptions. It's just that the the basic materials are such high quality mm. You can identify it, you can taste it, you can sort of live the experience, okay, that is exactly, you, you know what you, you see what you're eating, you feel what you're eating, and that's something I really love. That's interesting, because <clears throat> I, I do listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews with with people who are in the food space, and there are a really large number of people who have gone to Italy, mm. and they've just gone... I have to work on food because the food here is just so amazing. So they've gone, they've gone to Italy and they've had a food epiphany effectively. (laughs) How, how did that, how did the food work for you? Because you currently lecture in applied linguistics, Mm. but you've got a food background. So can Mm. you share how that kind of all intertwines? Sure. I have to be completely honest. I having gone through university, uh, supporting myself partly, uh, through catering jobs and restaurant jobs, uh, it was always like a background, sort of a, well, almost like a backup for me. And it's something that I had quite a passion for. Um, but I do have to admit, for a few years in Italy, I just became an eater rather than a sort of uh, somebody who, who produced things. I was just enjoying it too much. And in terms of my ability to cook, I thought I was better than I actually was. And I got quite lucky <clears throat> at one point because um, a few of the top-end restaurants in Milan had to do these theme nights, one of which was a Scottish theme night. So a friend of a friend of a friend got in contact with me with this chef uh, and asked me to to help host it. That's cool. And from there, he asked me to do um, a couple of these sort of extra uh, courses he was running based on uh, on the senses. Um, and I attended these these courses. Uh, and I was the only, I was the least qualified chef in there like, by a long way. And um, after the, at the end of the course, he said, look, can, can you do some uh, events for me? I'm doing Taste of Milano. I'd love you to, uh, to work for me. And it, was, it, it, it sort of reignited the passion I had for food. Uh, and I learned so much from that guy, Andrea Provenzani, um, because his, cause at the time when I did the course, I got into the really intricate stuff and the detailed stuff mm. and tried to be quite clever and artistic and mm. combinations and everything. But his philosophy is, why don't you just have something which you can identify with? And especially one thing that he really likes doing is having these basic dishes and interpretations of them like that may bring back childhood memories and mm. that kind of thing. Like his, his signature dish or one of them 
is um, parmigiano di melanzane. But he sort of makes it with this pasta filo on the outside, so it's quite crunchy as well. Mm. Puts this uh, rubiola cheese uh, on the top. So it's a parmigiana. That's the most basic thing. It's a staple of, the, of Italian food. Mm. But he just made it such high quality that it was to die for. Yeah. And such were so many of his dishes. And after that, it just changed my philosophy on things mm. completely. I'm, I'm personally a big fan of simpler is better mm. and showcasing the ingredients for what they are. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, there is a place and a time for, you know, molecular gastronomy and, and all of these gels and foams and things. But actually, I'm just happy having really good ingredients yeah. cooked properly. Well, this is, I'm, that's, I'm very much about that. That's, that's, that's my entire philosophy mm. um, in it. Um, but I will say, actually, on the question of molecular gastronomy, um, I certainly think it's got its, its place, but I'm, I have the impression that uh, the, the trend is it's, it, it's not, as, it's not the, the thing. People are more into foraging these days and yeah. finding these natural ingredients. So, um, you know, something that the freshness, the, the, the natural, the strong flavor of the basic ingredient itself is taking over molecular gastronomy. And I, I will say, out of molecular gastronomy, you know, it's, it's, it's Friday night, you know, you finished work and you want to get a takeaway. Like, you say, oh, should we get a Mexican or something? Mm. Who's ever said, let's go for a molecular gastronomy? <laughs> I really fancy a foam. <laughs> <laughs> so this, probably, I'm going to jump down our list of questions now. Karis is looking at me like, where's she going with this? Mostly because I just want to keep on that conversational path. But yeah. You know. So you um, obviously do a lot of cooking. Mm. Um, you're very good. Your Thank Instagram you. is full of mouth-watering dishes. So <laughs> how you. would you describe your own cooking style? Nobody's ever asked me that before. Oh, brilliant. Yes. <laughs> how um, journalism? It has to be a, com- a combination of um, simplicity, a harmony, uh, identity. And even a bit of emotion and desire. Identity in the sense that um, it, it, it's hugely important because a diner has to, has to identify with the food that he or she is eating. Mm-hmm. I think it's so depressing when people look at a dish and say, wow, it's amazing, but what is it? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Mm. Um, and in the specific case of Lithuania, there's one thing that I find is quite limiting. Now, for years, of course, we're under Soviet occupancy, you know, really good quality food was quite scarce and rather it was more popular to have something, this overcooked piece of chicken, which they had to drown in sauce. So it was, <laughs> so it mm. wasn't so, uh, so dry, but they haven't quite left that habit yet. And unfortunately people are still serving things and it's just drowned in sauce and you can't even see what it is. It just seems like a lot of slop on top. So I believe in something that you can identify with simple flavor combinations, but a, a very, very good product. Yeah, let's say simplicity, harmony, desire, and identity. I like that. That's a, that's a really good answer. I like the desire thing because so on your Instagram recently you had a really nice um, like surf and turf dish. Oh yeah, sure. And the <laughs> meat just looked beautiful and not overcooked. And not overcooked exactly. <laughs> um, uh, that was that was good fun. That, um, I sometimes go to the uh, the gastro pub around the, the the corner from me, and they just let me use their kitchen. Because the, the kitchen I have at home is just terrible. It's in, the landlord won't buy a new oven or anything. So I like to create things, and um, they let me use their kitchen. Um, and I thought, you know, I've never made a surf and turf before. How can I make one which really stands out? Mm-hmm. So um, it was. I was quite lucky, to be honest, with the um, with with the prawns. So I managed to get these these good quality fresh king prawns, which is quite rare here. Um, and I got a really nice. Um, 
Angus fillet steak. Uh, so it, it was, looked so good. Thank you very much. You're also really interested in the sustainability side of food. Yeah. And you, I guess you're quite passionate about getting young people passionate about that as well. So I think Alex mentioned that you speak in, at some conferences and mm. events about that. So for somebody who's wanting to enter the industry, keeping in mind all of these mm. things you're talking about in terms of food, um, but particularly sustainability, mm. what advice would you have for someone thinking about that aspect of it? Um, awareness. Um, keep an open mind <clears throat> about things, but you, you can afford to also be cynical. What I mean by that is, don't just it, just because somebody sticks the word sustainability on something doesn't mean it's credible. It doesn't mean it's actually sustainable yeah. uh, in you know the, the definitive sense of the word. Sustainability has not really taken off so much in Lithuania uh, because they they don't really have a problem with certain practices here in certain terms of. Um, pollution it, because there's a low population here it's under 3 million yeah. uh, it, it is not that big uh, an issue so therefore not seeing the problem it's difficult to suggest why people should make a solution to it yeah. the simple fact of the matter is that um, companies uh, working across Europe and not only they actually have sustainable practices which they demand so they will not do uh, business with certain companies who do not follow certain sustainable procedures why can't it be the same with uh, gastronomy, uh, the food that we eat, the, the products that we use, the, the plastic that's used in the supermarket, etc.? Why can't we be more aware of these things? And um, it was a real eye-opener uh, to, to meet some of the people from, from Denmark and the practices that they were doing. Like, I'd never eaten a mushroom which had been grown from coffee before. Wow. That was... Um, I, think I've done that. I think that was probably the strangest thing of... The most unusual thing I'd ever eaten... Um, but it, I was really infused by the novelty of it, and especially in Kaunas, where you've got cafes all over the place here. I mean, they're, they're every other shop. Um, you take the used coffee and add a certain fertilizer to it, and you can grow oyster mushrooms. Uh, and it's in Aarhus in Denmark, and these guys have got these wonderful, wonderful projects. Because even after the the oyster mushrooms have been grown, you can use the uh, the, the coffee again for fertilizer that's fantastic and what do they taste like do they have a slight coffee taste to them or do they that, really like they don't they, they they don't at all um i don't well i mean maybe i'm not the i'm not the biggest expert of mushrooms i'll be completely honest because mm. as a as a child i, I avoided them like the plague uh, because of the is it, is it the consistency the texture it's of the them, texture there yeah, we go, i'm yeah. a real textural eater and mushrooms yeah. just no. Nah. It's interesting because actually you've jumped ahead and answered our next question, but sustainability is so huge at the moment in Bristol. I mean, in the UK mm. generally, but I know we, we are quite fortunate in Bristol that we live in this kind of foodie bubble where yeah. um, it's a great city for that. But, you know, there's a real push at the moment for not using plastic, for... Um, but I think this is good. Uh, I think this is a, a really fantastic thing. And all it takes is, I mean, people in Bristol <clears throat> and people in the UK generally, they eat with a conscience uh, and they, 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 they buy with a conscience at the supermarket. And I think that's a fantastic habit. And it proves that it only takes one person to start something. Yeah. Uh, and it's just grown. Yes, of course, there's a long way to go. I don't think anybody could disagree with that. But I think that the UK is certainly on the right track with these things. And I would like to think that, um, that it, it, the Lithuanian is not far off. Certainly a lot of people are very conscious about these things and a number of their practices. 
Um, there's a bit of a way to go, but uh, and certainly with the um, Capital of Culture 2022, people are moving towards that uh, kind of thing. They have to be aware of it. So I think there's every possibility that it'll get bigger in a short space of time. So we've mentioned, obviously, that we're in Kaunas. I'm still saying it wrong. Kaunas. Kaunas. I'm going to ask more questions about... Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, Sorry, right. they're not on the list, but... Go for it. Before we started recording, you mentioned how you sort of got into food in the first place. Mm-hmm. So we kind of... I feel like I'm going a little bit backwards now yep. because we talked about... That's fine. You know, your, your dad's very specific... Uh, agendas. He made a good ragu though, huh? made a great ragu. I listened to the food program the other day and mm. I think you probably found it quite interesting. It was like the history of spaghetti bolognese. Excellent, yes. It was really, really interesting Lovely. because obviously it doesn't exist in Italy in the same format that we have it here. But anyway, or in the UK, you said, because we're both history nuts as we keep saying, so you're really interested in the history side of things as well. <laughs> yep. So tell us about how you got into food in the first place. Well, um, <laughs> okay, there are a number of channels to go down here because I think um, how I really got into food and took something serious, I to, to be honest, I uh, this was years ago, I was trying to impress a girl. Okay, so I could <laughs> yeah, it always comes down to trying to it, impress a girl. It's true, she didn't tell me she's allergic to tomato, so that didn't quite work. <laughs> oh, no. Not a successful night. <laughs> It's the um, thought that counts. Well, I suppose so. <laughs> anyway, um, I do have an interest in uh, in history and medieval stuff in particular, and I've done a few competitions and demonstrations for medieval cooking itself. Oh, that's well done, Caris, for pulling this question back. <laughs> it's something that uh, is is great fun because I, I I love using the old techniques, and it's great if, you, of course, all the medieval events are in the summer. Uh, and it's springtime, so you get great weather. You're outdoors. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's really fun. What sorts of things did you start by cooking? And were you translating the recipes yourselves, or were you going off the already translated versions? Oh, God. Um, well, the th- the, they're very, very subjective. You have to be careful, because if you have a historic cookbook, um, they might say, okay, for this recipe, you require two chickens. But you have to be very careful there, because chickens were much smaller in medieval times. So you really have to uh, balance out. Because you get two chickens from a butcher these days, I mean, they'll, they'll be almost twice the size as they were 700 mm. years ago. Mm. So you have to take these things into account also. Plus the fact that things like apples were a lot more sour mm. at the time. Uh, you know, the quantities of carrots using vegetables were in general a lot smaller uh, and different levels of sweetness, etc. Mm. So mm. there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things you have to go through there. Um, the, the, the only thing that you could really get away with in the medieval times, especially with uh, cooking from the uh, from from England, was the spices. The spices mm. haven't really changed that much over uh, over time, with a couple of exceptions. And there's always mead. So. There's always mead. That's so true. <laughs> now you can ask about cooks. Cool. Okay. So bringing it back to present day, mm. we're in Lithuania. Yep. On our weekend away. So Cornus. Mm. Yes. Is Lithuania's second largest city? Yes. It's, we're in the old town? Yep. What should we be eating and drinking whilst we're here? What should we be eating? Duck. Well, who, we did that last night. Could Go us, but we're going to have to find a place that doesn't overcook it. Yeah, I shall show you a place. Don't worry about that. Great. Um, the duck around this area is, uh, is well known. Uh, I'm very disappointed. There was a really good restaurant which had a local duck. 
uh, a lot of all local ingredients, but unfortunately it closed due to the, the health of the owner. Um, duck is something you should definitely check out. Um, when it's done well, it's absolutely stunning. Um, apart from that, there's not so much in terms of regional cooking. It's not like in Italy where you have different things per region. Mm-hmm. It's not so, so concentrated. Uh, so you have more national dishes, some of which are shared by other nations around this part of Europe. In, in particular, however, you just have to go for, if you want something to be really good, like if you take a zeppeline, which is a lead zeppelin, it's what they're called, which is like a, a potato and curd with some uh, pork in the middle. Very, really nice things. But if you buy them in a restaurant, they're only going to be so good. But if you really want to get them, just go to a farm. There's got anybody, so somebody's making them somewhere on a farm. They're guaranteed to do it. Do we just rock up and knock on a door or? Well, in a perfect world, you could. <laughs> I think it's quite so simple. But those things, it's Zeppelin, they can be really, really nice. And it's something to be said for, um, you know, the home cooking. Homemade, here. yeah. It's, Lithuania is all about that. Uh, all about that. There's some very, very good quality pork here in this country as well, which tastes different from the pork. Even if you take a cheap cut, like pork shoulder, you really notice the difference between, let's say, uh, Italian uh, pork shoulder and uh, Lithuanian pork shoulder. So, um, you know, again, it's a cheap meat. It's uh, mm. something anybody can get hold of. It does seem like um, quite a lot of the dishes here are kind of potatoes, dumplings, yeah. pork. So it's all about kind of hearty comfort food. When Very much so, cold. yeah. Um, and Gavin told us that it's actually been quite mild here at the moment. And last night it was... I think minus four with real feel minus nine, and you said that was quite mild. Well, I mean, look, all I'll say about that is that, um, you know, last year in February it got as low as minus 24, but that's, it doesn't happen so often. People instantly think just because of the geographical position of this country that it's always cold, but it really, really isn't. I mean, you know, Europe enjoyed a good summer last year, and Lithuania was no different. Mm. Um springtime may and june uh, just glorious you know, the sun comes up at five o'clock in the morning goes down at 11 at night mm. uh, so you get a full day um great temperature sort of between you know 24 and 30 degrees every day um and it, it's just it, you get a wonderful um possibility to go and pick vegetables from wherever just anyway even the wild vegetables in the, in the forests of which lithuania is very very rich so sometimes you can go foraging even in autumn and get these wonderful mushrooms so um, I think yeah I I think you mentioned something about unusual we mentioned something about unusual foods uh, before I remember uh, we went foraging one morning in a forest and went to my friend's mother's house and she has a farm um, and you know we we're making these zeppeline and everything and, she, and my friend said drink this okay so I had this drink it was like a shot and it you didn't t- question it no okay. <laughs> well it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have told me anyway uh, and okay. it, I drank it and it tastes like straw. Uh, I said, okay, well, what on earth is that? Uh, and he, he, he showed, I'll show you a photograph of it. Um, he just put a jar in front of me uh, and there was a toad in it. Uh, and he said it's vodka and toad poison. <laughs> so Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, was the toad dead? The toad was dead, but my question is, how did the toad die? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think there'll be some readers, uh, listeners out there that might not be happy with that. No. Uh, but I guess it's like when you get the scorpion in the vodka, that kind of that thing. That kind of thing, yeah. It's uh, not a million miles from that. And I thought, well, it's it's got a kick to it, you know, don't get me wrong. And it's a, it's, it's a little bit trippy, but um, just taste a straw. <laughs> a little bit trippy? 
Yeah, well, it's just poison in it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's poisoned. So. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> That's why you think homemade zeppelins are so good. Maybe they're not, but you just but like exactly, toad that, that, poison. Exactly, that must be it. Yeah. yeah. But um, no, 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 the, the the farm food here is absolutely fantastic, uh, and you can find some really, really wonderful things. And uh, the the soil here really allows. I mean, the, the size of the cabbages you get here that's insane. But it's the it's the quality of soil they have. So, are there kind of farms where you can go out and they've got like restaurants in them? Is it that kind of vibe, or is it more about finding someone's mum? Uh, yeah, <laughs> who's, a, who's a really good cook and can. Uh, can show you where to go. One thing I really miss about Italy is the what we call agriturismo um, places, where mm. there's a there's a farm and there's a restaurant there, and they're they're all over the place, and they're just fantastic. Sadly, um, it's one thing I really miss because they don't they don't have them so much here. Uh, to be to be honest, they they do exist, but they're quite few and far between. Mm. So yeah, you have to know somebody's uh, relatives for for that experience. There you go. What we need to do next. Right, go, so, go whose mum can we go and visit that you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, we wouldn't do that. You'd need plenty of notice, I imagine. What? Really? I was. I thought you were serious. I'm, I'm well up for a trip out to a farm. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> no, no, let's not do that. Well, I'll be able to ask. But that's what you do. You just turn up. I mean, you don't. These these things aren't planned. You know, they're, they're, they'll be making these things anyway. It'll make a difference. So you just kind of turn up. But yes, you do have to be invited by somebody first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> We've been told that you just rock up to farms. Is that okay? No, actually, they probably don't speak much in the way of um, English. So, How's your Russian? I mean, they all speak Russian for that generation. Um, I like that Karis is actually thinking about <laughs> how good her Russian is. I don't think I know any words. My, um, my dad's brother, my uncle, married a... Um, a Russian woman, and he speaks Russian, English, and French fluently. So mm. I could probably call him up and get him to talk on the phone. <laughs> I don't think that would quite cover off on it. <laughs> mm, maybe not. No. Do you have any amazing food memories from either Milan or actually you've been to Australia too, mm. or Lithuania? That God, we should have time to think about that. Um... Curveball. I've had a few moments where, it, where I've eaten a product which is so good, time to sort of stand still for that, that small moment of time. And the reason why food is so important to me is because it gives you that level of emotion. That's what I mentioned about desire uh, in my own sort of you know, combination of things. There's, a lot of people have the, you know, the excitement of when you see your food arrive in a restaurant. But for me, it's, it's that, that first taste. Uh, of uh, of what you're eating, whatever it may be, you know, it could be fish, it could be meat, it could be vegetables, uh, it could be anything at all. But if it's just so beautifully made, that's that it just fills me with desire. Now, that sounds really cheesy and everything, but I've had several moments where I've just been in absolute ecstasy from the flavour uh, of of certain products. One place was Umbria in the centre of Italy um, that had some venison there. Which was just to die for. Uh, it, it melted in your mouth, and it's usually very, you know, very gamey mm. uh, meat, of course, quite a rich meat. But it was, it was just something else. So, what would be your last supper? Oh wow! Uh, 
<laughs> Angel Delight. <laughs> no, you oh. just ruined everything. <laughs> Everyone at home. Wow, this that. guy is really interesting. This Every, guy is great. Oh, which, no, name, which Angel Delight? No, everybody. Butterscotch, of course. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Okay, look, everybody's got these guilty pleasures. Okay, like yeah. I'm, there are certain things which I just don't touch. Uh, certain fast food things I just don't go anywhere near because I don't think there's any substance to them or whatever. I don't think that there's any substance to Angel Delight either. I can't tell you why I like it. Is it a I just do. thing? <sighs> yeah, um, but it's just butterscotch. It's just fun. Of course, it's yeah. I mean, if, 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 if there's a proper butterscotch mousse, I'm going to choose that every time. Yeah, on yeah. Angel Delight. But no, no, I was, I was joking when I said that. <laughs> As a last... always a grain of truth. There's always a grain. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. <laughs> if we went into your kitchen right now and opened the cupboard, would hundreds of packets of butterscotch angel <laughs> fall out? He said he told us he was a great chef. <laughs> exactly, yeah. To light every night for his I've exposed myself there. Well, no. Um, the only thing I have an extensive selection of is spices. Um, the, the rest of it is things you'd normally have in your fridge. There's nothing fantastic. I've got some caviar in the fridge, um, mm. as you do. But, um, as you do. Well, we're uh, fairly close to Russia, I guess, so... Yep, uh, you can. I mean, it's still pretty pricey. Huh? It's still, yeah, really. it's, it's still quite expensive, but it's just easily accessible. Um, where there's other things that, for example, getting fish. Uh, like I really like tuna uh, and a great uh, salmon fillet. You, you just don't get them at such good quality very often here. Uh, so it's a rare treat when uh, when when you do. Um, and I think that in terms of what do I cook best, I'd I'd have to say fish um, because I. It, I don't know, it's, I've always been able to, somehow, even without timing it in the past, I could always cook it exactly as it should be. So it's not so moist on the inside, but cooked through at the same time. That's actually a real skill. Because fish is one of those things that they always mess up on MasterChef. <laughs> I always mess up in my kitchen. Uh, it's, it's just something, I, I don't know why, it just comes out right every time. And I think it opens itself to so many different flavour combinations that you can... And it's another thing where you just don't need any sauce with it if it's cooked properly. Mm. Uh, and that really is a, a hugely important thing for me, just to stay away from too much sauce. If you're going to give me a dessert, then yeah, sure, put all the sauce you want on there. Get me that raspberry sauce, just whack it on there, sure. But uh, I, I, I love the idea of being able to get the true flavour of uh, the food, be it, um, be it meat or fish or vegetables. I just want that flavour. I don't want it to be messed with. Uh, I, I really want to get the essence so I can judge for myself if it's a high quality piece of fish or meat or vegetable amen mm. so back to that yeah you can't avoid this question the last supper I feel like it's going to involve fish and, and butterscotch angel delight at this point so it's a three oh god don't set them together god, <laughs> no no so one's wrong. a dessert okay Although I'm sure somebody is going to be like, ooh, fish and butterscotch and delight. I'm sure there's a way we could work that together. That's a war crime. <laughs> so what would I have for my last supper? All right, you know what? I'll tell you what. I, I would start with... Okay, let's go for a salmon, avocado and pistachio tartare. Yeah, I was hoping you'd say tartare there. How to do it. I'd say it's the per- for me, it's the perfect uh, starter. But that's, that's my opinion. It's purely my opinion. Um, I'm not afraid to go from fish to meat, so I think... It's your last supper, you can have whatever you like. Oh, okay. No one's going to judge you. In that case, we'll do Italian style with the antipasto primo secondo. Okay. Um, oh, I so... just love listening to your Italian accent. It sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, yeah, the, the antipasto, the starter, would be um, salmon, avocado and pistachio tartare. 
Um, the primo, which would be either pasta, rice, and soup. Um, I would go for... Mm, damn, which, uh, which form of pasta would I choose? No, I think I would go for... Um, really, really keep it simple. Uh, a beautifully made, with proper ingredients, carbonara. Spaghetti alla carbonara. Oh, yeah. Which doesn't use pancetta, um, but it uses guanciale, the, the, the actual cheek. And it doesn't use any sauce or anything, but just the egg yolk, not even the egg white. Mm-hmm. Mm. So when it's cooked like that, it's a, as for me as it should be, and it's the best quality possible. And the actual pasta used itself, I would go for Selezione Mat, which is a very, very high quality uh, pasta that you can't find everywhere. It's making That's... me really hungry. Know, it's making, I'm, I'm in Lithuania and I want to eat carbonara at this point. <laughs> I haven't even got to the main course yet. <laughs> main course, you know what? Um, I'm going to go back to my roots. Uh, it, it, it has to be um, Angus, a fillet of Angus. Medium rare. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I will have that with... What will I have that with? Um, asparagus, definitely. And I would even go for a potato and blue cheese puree. Whoa. Specific. Wow. I, I think that I'm... noise that just came out of my mouth <laughs> wasn't even a word. <laughs> I, you sound like a ghost. Uh, I'm, I, I was thinking chips then. That would be... Mm. Chip. Steak fruit would be... But mm. blue yeah. cheese and medium rare steak is a match made in heaven. This is a great question. I think we should add this to our repertoire. All right then. Yeah. Well, the purees are something I, I got really into um, a few years ago because you can make some interesting combinations. Like, for example, blue cheese and potato salad, you put them together. The only way is a puree. Um, but more recently, I started pushing the boat out a little bit and I made a duck breast. I think I put it on Instagram, actually. Yeah, I did, I did. Um, I made a um, parsnip and apple and cinnamon puree, mm. uh, which I served with a duck breast, uh, and that that works really well. And you could do you know other things with spices like carrot and cumin, mm. Uh, mm. provided it's not too strong. Then yeah. it can make actually a really nice sweet and yet spiced puree. So I'm, oh, I love my purees. Mm. Pudding. Pudding. Oh yeah. I'm not going to say Angel Delight, right? Don't worry about that. Um, but I, I'm not... My weakness is, is desserts, to be quite honest with you. Um, and I, 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 I never really had a big enough um, excitement about them. Alex but, is the same. It's all about the savoury for me. It's all about the savoury, yeah. But there's one dish that that chef, Andre Provenzani, made. Uh, the dish was called Smoke. And uh, it was... Um, pasta filo with a creme anglaise with chocolate um, and it was served with a coffee ice cream um, and there was a cherry there and it was actually served with a dome and he put cigar smoke into the, the dome itself so when he lifted it off so it looked like there was a cigar there yeah. but um, when he lifted it off you got that wonderful aroma uh, of this, this, this delicious um, pipe tobacco and it was oh there was a stunning dish I mean, it was a perfect ten. It was really, really amazing. And that's his signature dessert, in fact. Mm. I think that kind of covers off on the basics of dessert. You've got something a bit crunchy. You've yeah. got chocolate. You've it's got texture. Yeah. You've got, you've got everything you need mm. in the dessert to make you feel like, yes, I've had a sufficient dessert. And, and the theatre as well. You've mm. got a bit of theatre there. There's a bit of theatre to it, certainly. There's the, there is that visual impact. But I think more importantly, it works on your olfactory senses, like the sort of the waft of mm. uh, the, the smell of that, that delicious cigar tobacco, um, it really lifts it to another level uh, because it's, it, it's like the, you, the whole sort of coffee and cigarettes thing, mm. you know, that after dinner thing and mm. to have that sort of cigar smoke with the coffee ice cream. 
I think it was a, a delightful way to, uh, to have this after-dinner combination. And on that note, I think it's the perfect ending for <laughs> this episode. And I can hear Alex's tummy grumbling. Um, and uh, it's wrong, but I really want carbonara now. Thank you so much, Gavin. It was fascinating talking to you. We're so glad that you responded to our random message on the internet to come and chat to two girls in a It was quite apartment. out of the blue. It was very much out of the blue. I, I, I even thought to myself, I oh, think I've got the right person. I do <laughs> just want to point out that we don't usually message random men on the internet. <laughs> Not usually. Um, but it may become a thing because if everybody we message randomly turns out to be as interesting as Gavin, then... Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed it, you can listen to all of our other episodes um, at thesource.com. We're also on Twitter and you can subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify and iTunes. Um, until next time, over and out.